0: Yo, oh. yo, yo, oh.
1: Aubrey Edwards, Tony Shivani we bout to party, we bout to party, undestricted,
2: This is AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of all elite wrestling. I am Aubrey Edwards, otherwise known as the David Brunner of AEW. We'll get into that a little bit.
3: (laughs) (laughs) In addition to being a a variety of other names, Aubrey, but they're all good. They're all good.
2: They're all good. We'll get into that today. I'm very excited about this guest. First off, uh, thank you again, Alex Abrahentiz, for being here today as our guest co-host. There is a running theory that Tony Schiavone... while he's busy and typically can't make podcast recording times that he found out we had RJ City on today and intentionally decided he wasn't going to be here. So I I heard it too, but I just wasn't going to bring it up. uh, Welcome to the show, RJ City.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I'll I'll take the heat for it. I want to lay it out. I've had a conspiracy in my mind for about, I would say three or four months now that Tony Shivani has heat with me. Mm. And I want to clarify, it's nothing that Tony has ever done. <laughs> um, I did an interview, a, a W interview with Jade Cargill. And one of my questions was, why are Tony Shavani's shit so big? I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. So it was a thing on the show. And then when the episode came out, somebody wrote, oh, what was Tony Schiavone's reaction? I don't know, because I don't work with him. I see him maybe in the hall once a month. And that's it. And then I got it in my head that he saw it and hated it, oh. and has been avoiding me. So every interaction I've had with him since, I've colored it in my head that. Meanwhile, who knows if he's even seen it? You know. And then I thought, should I have cleared it with him? I have no idea. Mm. So I, I came on here for the podcast, and I thought I would be getting the Aubrey Shavani experience, and then no Tony, conveniently missing. Nope. And then so so I likened it to when johnny carson would take off and david brenner would co-host and they would have guests on that johnny didn't personally like
3: okay that's amen I that's a fair theory
1: yeah
2: it is a fair theory very very fair yeah so you've got heat with tony Schiavone. you actually have heat with
1: me now too i don't have heat i okay why please go ahead.
2: oh this is good breaking news okay so So here's the thing. So there is a like Italian tradition that, and I, I learned this when I married into an Italian family, that when you you eat your meal, Whatever. You've got your appetizers, your your sides, your main course, all that. And at the end of the meal, there is a salad. Mm. And every time I'm at my in-law's house, my mother-in-law is like, you have to eat your salad. I'm like, no, Gina, nobody wants to eat the fucking salad. <laughs> we wanted to fill up on like lasagna and all this delicious stuff. Like, I don't want to eat a salad. Yeah. I don't need a palate cleanser. I want to remain like have lasagna on my palate still so i was discussing this with rj and catering as he's eating this fruit i'm like why are you eating all the fruit you just had this wonderful thing and he's like oh it's a palate cleanser i'm like no we don't do that here you have the fruit first enjoy it what is the problem so i've just decided that we have heat because of this
1: alex listen to those exclusionary words we don't do that here
2: (laughs) wait a second but i'm so confused a salad is so
3: completely different than fruit fruit could be considered a dessert could it not
2: It could, but the way he had it assembled, it could be believed to be a fruit salad.
1: Yeah. I was taught the fruit is like maybe a a digestive. First of all, fruit is not good to have on an empty stomach because it's so acidic. Wow. Right? Not that good for you. I disagree. It's not to agree or disagree. That's it's biological. (laughs) (laughs) It's just true. It's not an opinion piece here. But I had that fruit salad. AW does wonderful job on the on the fruit spread. And I think it goes often unused. People load up on the lasagnas and the sweet potato fries and the what have you. And I wanted to lend some some credence to the fruit department. So I was actively enjoying a bowl of fruit. Like really very
3: kind of you.
1: (laughs) It was kind of me. And, you know, you hold it up. Do the chef and you give them a little nod like hey some fruit (laughs) tell Sabrina
2: like hey kill him with the fruit (laughs) Ed Aubrey
1: just could not stand to be seated next to me while I was doing this
2: wow the (laughs) things
3: you learn here are unrestricted I mean my goodness breaking news yeah breaking news
2: oh my god all right well I don't know do you have heat with Alex RJ I feel like you have to I don't I
1: actually enjoy Alex a lot and I binged a few of his videos (laughs) (laughs) that's right including his how to burn a CD. Yes, I'm famous for that. Yeah. Yes. On my, on my algorithm. And I thought, let's click on this. And it's so funny to hear Alex's wrestling fans aren't listening to this voice. <laughs> you know what I mean, like a real professional human being. And I'm like, wow. Well, thank you. As opposed to now, his,
2: his QVC voice. Yes.
1: <laughs> and then the next thing I know, 40 minutes have gone by and I'm just deep into this. This informative world.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. But did you learn how to burn a CD?
1: I did. I'll never apply that knowledge, but I learned. No,
2: <laughs> of course not. <laughs> 2023. I, I think that knowledge is a little dated now, but it's it's still important to know. You'd be surprised. The I, I mean, if I had to burn one today, I'd be screwed. I don't even think I have a CD-ROM drive. So I don't know if half our roster even knows what a CD-ROM drive is, to be perfectly honest. That
1: is fair. I love how you're talking about useful YouTube videos to a person who often sits through PBS station identification supercuts.
2: Oh, my God. So great.
3: Wow. They're
1: relaxing. Alex is very relaxing.
3: He is. Well, thank you. I appreciate
2: that. Yeah. Soothing. Some people listen to ASMR videos. Some people listen to Alex (laughs) Everhendez.
1: Yes.
3: Maybe I should combine both. Oh,
2: there's a market for
3: that. Oh, my
1: God. I would listen to the old computer start up with that hot air. (laughs) (laughs) Or the Intel logo. Yes. Is this about me? Do you have any questions about me? I mean, what what are we doing? We do have some questions (laughs) (laughs) about you. Yes, we do. We should
3: probably get into
2: that.
1: Tony gets back (laughs) when?
2: And uh, as soon as you sign off, that's when Tony gets back. (laughs) All right, let's actually do a proper introduction. RJ City, wonderful human being. He's the host of Hey EW, which... Uh new episodes come out at the crack of dawn every Sunday morning, and they're absolutely hysterical and wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think you're actually a year in at this point. Your first one was on March 13th with Danhausen. Yeah. It's a first guest. It's great first guest to like <laughs> break on the internet with. It's like, oh God, what is this? I've got RJ City and Danhausen coming in my Instagram feed. I gotta look into this. So how did this all start? Was that the first thing that you were brought into AEW
1: to do, or was there
2: something else?
1: Well, I had been uh, working at WWE for like a year and a half, doing a variety of things. And then the system was such that 80% of the stuff we would attempt to do would never happen. So it was very frustrating. I'm happy with what I did, but you know there was always more I wanted to do. And then, to put it politely, a big tide came in and wiped everything away. And then I got really disenchanted. And I was like, you know what? I did this. That was WWE stuff, and let's just move on. I was working on a couple different TV things. I was maybe going to do some weird things on the indies. Aubrey, I know you're familiar with Babyface. Yes. So I thought, let's do that. Like, the pandemic was still going on, and it was slowly ending. And then I tweeted about something related to one of those pictures that never made it. And next thing I know, Tony Khan, not Shivani, slid into my DMs and said, Do you you're not with WWE? I said, no. He said, well, do you want to come do this? And do you want to come do sit-down interviews? I think it was the road to, wasn't it? Yes. It was the it was the road to where I was the chauffeur on the road to revolution. Yes. And he had known of my work. I don't understand how he knew it, but he also has an excellent comedy brain. Like how much she knows about wrestling it feels like it's applied to like every kind of corner of the life and the world. He has this comedy brain. He knew exactly kind of what he wanted from me. And then it was like, oh, OK, great. And then three weeks went by and I didn't hear anything. So again, my neurosis said, I've done something that's upset these people. Maybe Tony Schiavone said, no, not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he knew. He knew back then. He did. He, had, he has a good sense. And then next thing I know, you know, we're at uh, Revolution. Before it, we're at dark. I'm sitting in an SUV and a chauffeur hat and a crew. And I'm going, no one's going to want to do this. This is not going to go well. And then Paul White relented and sat in the car and we had a nice time. And then that was that.
3: So how did this kind of concept come about? Is this something that you pitched? Is this something that TK was like, hey, I had this great idea Why don't you do this? Like, what was the kind of evolution of that?
1: I had pitched it being the chauffeur on on the road to, you know, you got to have the roads choose and everything. And then I wrote out an outline of what it could look like and what sample questions were and then what a sit down interview would be. And then I wrote an interview for Tony because I thought, well, if, you know, he's approving at everything, if he's okay with the ones about him, then nobody else can say anything. So I sent him that. And he approved it. And then when we actually went to do our interview months later, I said, did you look at your questions? And he said, nope. Mm. He had absolutely no idea what I was gonna ask, as most people don't. Nobody knows what I'm gonna ask them, which is great.
2: I'm curious where the name of the show came from, the Hey EW, because I remember seeing the sign and I'm like, hey, ew. (laughs) (laughs) I did too. What is this? <laughs> I,
1: you have a habit of like, you know, when you're uh, brainstorming ideas, you don't worry about what's good or not. You're like, let's just get it out and on paper. So I made a list of really stupid names. And the first one was, hey, E.W., I, you know, I here's a list of 10 names. And I sent them to to Kevin Sullivan and we had this big call. And I remember him saying, and I think everybody agrees, the name of the show should be Hey, E.W. And I'm like, really? Are you guys sure about this? (laughs) You know, I wanted the sign to look like I had drew it with a marker. And then that's exactly what they did. And then it looked like, hey, Ooh," which none of us realized until we saw the logo. And that's a good way to tell if people have actually watched the show or not. When people go, hey, I love hey, Ooh," and I go, you're full of shit, because Mm -hmm. that's not the name of the show. I say the name of the show at the beginning of every episode, because I understand there's going to be some confusion. But then it was Kevin's sick idea to just say Sunday mornings at the crack of dawn and never specify, I guess, treat everybody like they're farmers and never <laughs> let them know when exactly that is. But that's the charm of a show that kind of should not be happening.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you've been around a long time. So obviously you came into AEW knowing quite a few people here, one of which is Sanjay Dutt. And I know he's been a big fan of yours, an advocate. Where did you meet Sanjay? And where did this relationship begin? I'm going to get very emotional.
1: One day he sent me a a DM when I was on the Indies, just plugging along. I had not known him. I'd never met him. And he said, hey, it was either cult or, yeah, maybe it said, hey, I saw your promos. Somebody sent me your promo and I loved it. And I just wanted to say, like, keep up the good work. And you're like, oh, my, thank God. I appreciate that, especially when it gets very depressing on the indies those genuine compliments from people you admire are what you cling to you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and you're like this will keep me going for at least another week (laughs) and i always appreciated that and then after that he tried to get me to work in like three different places and for whatever reason like i was always doing a lot of tv stuff too so every time he would ask i couldn't do it or i couldn't come but we would always you know enjoyed each other and i certainly enjoyed his work and then finally we got to do this together this is the first thing and i think we both felt like oh this was worth the wait it's significant enough but also stupid enough
2: yeah everyone's <laughs> jaded enough that it works
1: yeah i think so and people are allowed to bring i i leave the guest space to do what they want with the information <laughs> i give it's also like Jeremy Giancarlo mm. Zane Dan George Dennis that that's the crew and they do a tremendous job yeah in making stuff look bad <laughs> I can't tell you how hard but it's it's seriously like I've had that problem before when I say I need something to look bad and people don't understand because like cameras are so nice like technology is so good now that it's hard to make stuff look genuinely bad and you know, if you want to know how talented they are, they also do a lot of the the promo packages and the backstage promos and the vignettes and those look fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to be great, but to be so good that you can undo your own own greatness when it's X <laughs> is just fantastic.
2: That's a gift. It's, I'm I'm glad that you called out all of them because our production guys backstage do an incredible amount of work and don't get the love and recognition that they deserve. Like they're they're there first in the building. They're typically there super late night editing stuff constantly. Like yeah. they're waiting around for talent to show up so they can actually record a promo for whatever the hell it is
1: they need. And They're killing it. And they also have to deal with me emotionally. Cause I get very <laughs> vulnerable doing I've stuff. heard about that. Okay. <laughs> Have people said this? Uh,
2: There was one moment we were filming. I'm going to throw somebody under the bus. Uh, We were filming the Heels podcast where we had like me and Vicky and Leva and Amanda. Yes. And we didn't have the backdrop. So we needed like just color splash on the wall. And someone put the blue and they went, oh, we can't do that. That's hey, EW. We will get an essay from RJ if we use this color. (laughs) Yes. So we switched to purple on a whim because we're like, oh, nobody wants you with him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a very specific. I went out of my way to try to make the show unique looking in the sense that you're not going to see it anywhere else on AEW stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't have been upset. But usually what happens is after we film stuff, I hate it. That's just Mm -hmm. my emotional roller coaster is whatever. I think
2: that's artists in
1: general, though. Yeah, Right.
3: totally. That's exactly what
2: it is.
1: I think Jay Lethal came up to me once right after he finished and he's like, so how would you like it? And I was like, listen, you can't ask me that because I'm going to complain about trivial stuff that you didn't even realize the room was too big. The last couple episodes, I complained that the room was too big. I was there for that. Right. And I was just like, this is not. But <laughs> the- you weren't <laughs> wrong. I'm not wrong. No, I'm not wrong at all. It's just annoying to listen to. But then after I, I finished, you know, Jeremy, I'll come up to him and say, like, was that okay? was that anything? And I never really, really know because everything is, generally speaking, one take and we barely edit anything. So I get in this weird zone where I almost don't remember what I did right after we did it.
2: Yeah, that's completely fair. So great. And I know that there's so much more to talk about. We casually threw in a little bit of like you doing indie stuff. There's all the work you do at AEW. There's, I mean, the pre-show at Revolution itself was just an absolutely incredible thing. There's so much more to talk about. And we've got it coming up here on AEW Unrestricted.
3: It's Alex and Aubrey back here at Unrestricted with the ever-talented RJ City. We've talked about so much, RJ. But... Let's have bring it up? back a little bit. Yeah. Well, we learned his enjoyment of fruit yes. at yes. catering yeah. and how that's acceptable. We learned that.
1: I think this is really going to hook people and help promote. I think
3: we're going to try it. Yeah. Yeah. This this week at catering, I'm going to give it a shot.
1: They're not going to have enough fruit now, and that's going to be the problem. Yeah,
3: we're going to have a fruit shortage. Yeah. It's all your fault. So <laughs> let's back up a little bit, RJ, and talk about how you got into the business. Uh, a lot of folks may not know that uh, you're a wrestler. Or are you still a wrestler? We've got to ask you that question as well. So uh, give us a little bit of
1: background about how you got into wrestling. I never remember not wanting to get into wrestling ever. It was this and The Muppet Show, and they're the same thing, which is a point I've made a million times because it is also true. In Ontario, there was a commission, so I could not start training until I was 18. There was a whole thing. And I remember I found a guy in Maryland where my uncle lived named John Rambo, who was trained by like the Samoans. And he let me roll around, which was hilarious. I worked for Rambo. Get out of here.
3: He was down in like Virginia? Yes. Holy cow, what a small world.
1: What a strange time. I think Max Caster wrestled for him once too. We should have a John Rambo tribute podcast. (laughs) Not that he's dead, but still, still. (laughs) And then when I got to Toronto, when I was of age, I started training with a guy named Ruffy Silverstein, who was trained uh, by the Hearts. And he was in like the original Team Canada. Yeah, that was it. I started uh, I started wrestling. And do I still wrestle? Yes. I never stopped. There is an argument that maybe I don't even wrestle when I actually wrestle. I think my last match was in December. Listen, if somebody wants to pay me enough, sure. But I'm having a lot more uh, fun and success not wrestling in wrestling, which probably tells you how good my wrestling was.
2: I don't think it's necessarily how good your wrestling was. I think it's part of it, like how much your character connected with the audience that people wanted to see more of you. Right. It's not just necessarily in the ring, right?
1: Yes. Also, some of my ideas were a little too outside the box where they became difficult to work into on a wrestling show Mm. without upending the entire show. Like what? Like treating my entrance like it was a sitcom audience warm-up thing and making the fans do it over and over again. I thought that was really, really funny. That's great. Having a script for the match and halfway through the match say, you're not following the script here. Really like, you know, concept breaking stuff, which, you know, for me is fine, but I understand how it won't work for everyone. So I ended up being very much a in my own sandbox type of thing. Which is great. It's totally fine. I understand it. and I'm not upset about it.
2: We actually have fan questions later, but there's one now that kind of uh, fits nicely um, from Jeff Minaglia. You chose Leslie Gore's You Don't Own Me as your theme for the indies. Yes. What was your, your reasoning behind that?
1: Well, I had always been a fan of the song because it was featured so prominently in the first Wives Club. I remember watching that as a kid and being so empowered by it, even though I was not the target demo at all. <laughs> and then I started listening to it. And I'm, I was very big on like, there's so many wrestlers, there's so many shows, there's so much going on. I always wanted to find what hasn't been done. And let's just try that for the sake of experimentation. And that was a song that I had not heard yet in wrestling. It was great. It had a very distinct sound it felt very me i would come out to a leslie gore song and then it just it felt really nice to come out to (laughs) but you know being in my own sandbox as hard as it is it also built up a lot of trust that i can handle my own thing sure for good or for bad hey w content wise is up to me all the notes are mine no one looks at them i just remember the fourth episode maybe is eddie kingston I made, to be uncouth, I made a fisting joke. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a phone call. And that's it. I'm prepared to take the heat. Like, let me find the boundaries of these people. And it it went out undetected. <laughs> not even undetected, but I guess it was okay. And I was like, all right, <laughs> fine. Uh, we've since mentioned, like, I don't know, Robert Blake and Genghis Khan. and well, Not that it's, it's the goal to do that, but it's nice to have the freedom to if I deem it necessary.
2: I like that. if it's necessary. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Where did this fascination of kind of old school Hollywood kind of come about?
1: I blame my grandmother. She would say, you need to watch The Nutty Professor. You need to watch Abbott and Costello. And I would watch it as a kid and assume everyone else had watched it too. Why wouldn't they? And then none of my friends would have seen it. Then I ended up talking to their parents and grandparents. And then it, it came out of that. And it is also a world that does not seem to exist anymore. They're very mystical, like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, in the sense that, you know, movies and TV it was so mysterious. Now everyone does it, and you have a phone, and we can all do the exact same thing. But back then, it was like, ooh, Don Knotts. Like, what does he do all day? So that's always <laughs> like a point of curiosity. What's he tweeting? Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, what's, what's old is new again. I love it. It's really... Really great. Well, my other thing is also I've learned that being timely doesn't always work. That's like the best way to come off dated is if like usually we we film four episodes in a row. So we'll have stuff that won't come out until a month later. And if I make a joke about something that just happened, then it feels really old when it comes out. But Don Knotts will always be old, whether it's now or a month later. So that seems to work in my favor, too.
2: One of the things I want to talk about, because I I absolutely loved this documentary, the uh, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Oof. And you had a big role off screen and on the screen. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes, there is no embargo on it. Fantastic. I was set up. David's old writing partner was a fan of mine in Toronto. He would go to the indie shows. And David was looking to get back into wrestling, and Ben is his name. So, you got to talk to RJ. So, I followed him on Twitter, and then it turned into this whole thing. And I was brought in to just kind of be a consultant and kind of help him with maybe his gimmick, which he didn't have and still doesn't have. They all said, No, no, I think you should, you know, wrestle me. I think this should be the first match. And I was like, Okay, great. That works. And then the documentary is frustrating for me to watch because. They filmed for like two years, so you can't capture everything. And I don't think people can appreciate how much he did when the cameras weren't there. Like he would just go to indie shows and we would team together after we wrestled. We were this odd couple tag team and he would show up and I'd say, where's the crew? And he says, no crew. I just I wanted to wrestle. He was obsessed with earning the respect of these people. Wrong business to look for respect. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. And he was just so good to everybody. And he would give so much stuff away for free and always try to pay for dinner for the boys and just really aggressively nice. And he's still doing well. He's still alive. <laughs> I mean, you can't kill him. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah.
3: You can't. Can. As the documentary says, where can you see the documentary, by the way? That's a great question.
1: Uh, I think you can buy it on YouTube. I usually, wherever documentaries are, I don't know the logistics of it, but maybe a Netflix. I think I watched it on a plane. I think it's on Netflix or something. Look, just buy a ticket for a plane. Give yourself maybe an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, fair. You know? Yeah. And uh, you should be able to see it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So I got to ask you about this. Um, RJ makes coffee in his underwear.
1: How did this come about? How did you get Steve Austin on it? (laughs) It came about because I was not Doing anything. I was very dejected with what was going on or the lack of what was going on. There was a another wrestling company that had offered me a contract and it we were way too far apart. So I declined it. And I thought, is that all there is? And then I thought, well, whatever, I'm just going to do my own stuff. Everyone was streaming and doing dumb stuff anyway. So I tweeted out that I was going to stream me making coffee in my underwear. And Tommy Dreamer commented on it and said, you might as well. Everyone's doing you know, stupid stuff anyway, why not? And I, I said, okay, I'm just going to do one. And I've since been doing it for the past four years. And it sounds more sexual than it is. There's that the hook of it being in my underwear is like, you know, whatever. It sounds like one thing, but then within minutes, we're talking about the Bosnian War or something. <laughs> and we've totally, totally veered off. And then, you know, I started having guests on as people, you know, enjoy doing that kind of thing too. And the way I got Steve Austin was me and David did his podcast, which has since been removed from the Internet. So it's now mm. his lost podcast. I guess he had to take his stuff off for whatever. I'm not going to get into his legal issues or whatever. But uh, it's a shame because we brought him a cherry pie. And at the end of it, we sat around talking for an, for an hour. We had a really good time. And I said, look, I'm going to ask you to do something. And if you don't want to do it, feel free to tell me to go fuck myself. And he said, and he knew what I wanted to do. And he said, okay, let's do it. I believe I'm the only show in history to have both Steve Austin and Mario Cantone as guests. What a combination. Uh Wow. That is quite the bullet (laughs) points (laughs) here. Very proud of that (laughs) distinction.
2: I want to go back to Hey EW a little bit and talk more about kind of how, because you have so much freedom and you've sort of. Mention that at this point, you don't let the guests know at all what they're getting
1: asked about, right? If if they want to, (laughs) I mean, I guess, sure. Some people have asked or said a few, but more often than not, and I always admire the guest because without them trust falling into it, none of it would be possible you know, I always ask them, like, is there anything? Are you good or whatever? And and I would say everyone say t- certainly there are some personal areas that I try to clear with people. But more often than not, people trust that even if I go into those areas, I do it the right way. They know I'm not necessarily out to get them. And then they also have the freedom. I'm not telling them to say anything either. So if they didn't like it, and they wanted to call me out for not liking it, I, I don't think I'd mind. <laughs> Is, is filming the show
2: different now that it's been out for a year and people are sort of familiar with it? Because I know early on, the concept would be very much like, I have no idea what I'm doing and something's going to happen. But now everyone knows, like when they see you around and you're filming Heyew, it's like, oh, okay, we kind of get an idea. Of what it
1: Right. Is. Well, my first guests that I had were people like Dan Housen, who obviously we worked together a bunch before this, and Eddie Kingston and Mark Henry, they all knew my stuff. That was easy. You know, you want to get the people who are most familiar with you. But then I had somebody and it would have been great if he was here. Tony Shivani, mm. who I had never worked with before. But then he was also perfect. Like, it's great to see how talented people are outside of the norm. Like, you know, they're good at the wrestling stuff. But then you don't realize how funny they are or how smart they are, or how quick they are. Arn Anderson is another example. So that is a guy who is just a business-minded person who wants to help. And if you ask me to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. So he said yes. And then allegedly, because I'd never spoken to him before, he saw Mark Henry right before he went out to come in to do it. And he said, what is this YouTube shit thing I have to do? And then Mark was (laughs) sweet enough to say, you're going to enjoy yourself. Just have a nice time. And then he came in and, and shook my hand and sat down and like, What you see is just exactly what happened. And then he was like, well, that was nice. And then got up and left. And just like this, (laughs) this, like magic moment of this guy. And it is nice because I wouldn't be able to, like, I can't wrestle Arn Anderson. But now we have to have, we get to have this, like, unique moment together. I don't know how he feels about it. He probably just (laughs) totally put it out of his head. I'm sure Jim Ross has. (laughs) Next time you get Jim Ross on, just please ask him how he enjoyed himself. But then there are other people who come on, you know, with ideas. What if I do this? And what if we do that? And like, I certainly don't want to, you know, as much as it is a playground for me, it's a playground for them, too. We're going to go away and do some business with America. And we'll be right back after this. Perfect. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: This is AEW Unrestricted, and I can't throw to commercial the same way that RJ City does, so I might as well just retire now. I don't think anybody can. No, I don't think anybody can. We've got Aubrey and (laughs) Alex here having a wonderful conversation with RJ, just talking about all of his wonderful projects at AEW kind of his influences, stuff he's done outside of AEW, a little bit of wrestling thrown in there because, I mean, we are a wrestling company, whatever. Who
1: needs, isn't there enough wrestling going there on? There is enough wrestling. We're on every night of the week.
2: Let's that's, let's watch. You know,
1: some people always ask, like, when are you going to wrestle for AEW? And I'm like, do they not have enough of the best wrestlers in the world? We have, like, 200 people. Like, it's <laughs> pretty fair. What do you think I'm going to add to this? They have these, <gasps> like, amazing matches every single week. And what am I going to just poke my head in? are you out of your mind leave me alone <laughs> save me the embarrassment
2: oh my god i mean and on top of that like if you're not bumping you can do whatever it is you're doing for longer so well i
1: i don't bump no matter what but i do it is a point of pride to hear i mean, the joke is that hey w is a wife show because i've always heard my wife hates wrestling but she loves hey w. and that's you know my goal where it's like you've got all the great wrestling stuff covered Let's do something totally different. And if we can grab other people, too, and be a weird gateway, I always think wrestling can be framed in a better, smarter way because it is fantastic. You know what I mean? It's wonderful. There's niches
3: in every facet of the world that you can bring in. So that's a great idea.
2: Yeah. It's my small goal. I love it. Uh, we got a lot of fan questions because
1: you're- We sure do. you're
2: You're quite popular on the internet. I don't know if you knew this or not. Yeah,
1: on the internet.
2: We have a question from Emmanuel Alejandro. What are the numerous celebrity influences that make up RJ City?
1: Oh my God, so much. High atop the list is Jerry Lewis. Not only on camera, but the person, what a an asshole he was. What a difficult, (laughs) inappropriate person. And I just am constantly fascinated by him. Van Johnson, which is a very old one, for the same reason. SCTV, Billy Crystal, the Christopher Guest, all that stuff. But I also, especially when I'm doing these interviews, I like to go straight to the source of bad interviews. There's Lita Powell Drake. If you've ever seen, she's wearing a tracksuit and she's like hitting on Gene Hackman. You may have seen this, the popular clip. <laughs> there's her, there's Skippy Lowe, who was a horrible interviewer. There was a guy named Tom Labrie who had a waterbed company and he had a late night talk show where he had to cele- and he's not an equipped interviewer. And I just am fascinated by these people. So I'm a sick YouTube wormhole You know, these are painful things, but yet I enjoy them so much. So
3: I've got a good one here from A.M. Books. I believe I pronounced that correctly. So what's your favorite thing about working
1: at AEW and why is it Renee Paquette? Oh, wow. You know, it really does bother me because I've been here over a year now. Where is my graphic? (laughs) You know, what are we doing? Renee waltzes in. They had the graphic before she walked in the door. What seniority system is going on here? What backroom deals was she making?
3: Perhaps Shivani had something to do with it. I'm just putting it out there.
1: Perhaps. Yeah, I know. (laughs) They're giving these graphics away like they're candy. I've been turning it out every week. What's going on? I will have Tony Khan back on Hey W and I absolutely plan on asking him this question Ooh. oh you
3: should start with that
1: <laughs> yes he was like i love i, well, I want to come back on i was like great and then i just now have a list of grievances oh, <laughs> <laughs> which he'll have to address but no you know don't be fooled as nice as renee is on camera she's very cunning behind the scenes oh yeah. i know you did a new year's episode of hey ew with paul white Where you're in the
2: bed and whatnot. I feel like the next Tony Khan one, you have a Festivus episode where you have your poll and
1: your airing of grievances. Yes, I would. I would love that, and I would love to do it in April or something. You know,
2: Festivus all year round. There we go.
1: Yes, I have grievances. No, no season. (laughs) That's right. They're all year long. Yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. It's, it's like the people that leave their Christmas decorations up all year round. It's like, yeah, good. Do it. Let's let's do that with every holiday.
1: You know, my own personal hell is no matter how much I don't like Renee, people like seeing us together. You do have chemistry. It works. You're like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, yeah, it's the friction. But if peanut butter and jelly hated. each Oh, OK. I like that.
2: Yeah. All right. Very interesting question from Patrick. If RJ City was tasked with putting together a faction based on Frasier, which wrestlers would you choose?
1: Why would I choose wrestlers where I could pick B.B. Newworth and David Hyde Pierce? <laughs> Who would I pick? Who's intellectual? Who likes talking about psychology? Maybe a Brian Danielson. Mm. Oh, yeah. Him being from Seattle. I think that would be a good start. And then maybe complexion wise, I'd go with Serea, mm. I think, to capture the B.B. B. earth ishness. I'd have to coach her a little it would be like a my fair lady kind of thing but I think we could get there it could work and then I think it would be a good idea to have uh, you know ornery Arne Anderson sitting in the recliner
3: perfect with his glock yeah for
1: sure in hand
3: of yeah. course <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's move on here because National Scissoring Day has a great question here if you were allowed one co-host of Hey EW who would it be oh
1: wow Oh, wow. One co-host. hmm This is a wonderful question. hmm I have a, a dear friend named Nug Nargang, and he's a comedian in Toronto. He's the reason that me and Renee even know each other, because he used to host a wrestling show with Renee. He's the person I most often look to to tell me if something is good. So I would say him. That's pretty cool. With the- or You know what? Actually, never mind. Ellen Green. She played Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Hmm. I like
2: it. Maybe, maybe flip a coin, see who's available.
1: Yes, we could do both. <laughs> I maybe, where well, I maybe put out feelers once to date her, because I knew people who knew her, and I was told she's not your type. Don't don't bother.
2: <laughs> maybe maybe you're not her type. Who knows? I don't think they you know sent her my Instagram or anything. The, they're just like, no, dude, we're yeah. we're not even gonna.
1: No, Whatever. we don't want this circus.
2: We have a question from Worst Schnefner. Of
1: course course you do. (laughs)
2: Mr. Schnefner. Schnefner. How many HR complaints did you file over your personal space being violated during the Revolution (laughs) pre-show?
1: So the Revolution pre-show was very weird. It was was like a live rehearsal for everybody. We had not done something like that before. It was excellent. Thank you. I think the next one will be better. It was hard because... I'm in my ear. I can also hear myself in the mic, but then I hear myself coming through the arena echo too, because we're right backstage. And then it was it was hard to hear the person next to me, and it was hard for them to hear me. So we had to be unusually close to each other. But I mean, when it's someone like a Daddy Magic or a Will Hobbs or an Adam Cole, who, again, I will say smells great. You don't mind being that close. <laughs>
3: Well, that's always good to know. Let's go back to a, a question about your Canadian roots here because Wrestling Rob has a good one. Uh, you send one Canadian snack to a random person. Ooh. What do you send?
1: Ooh. Canadian snacks are just like appropriated British snacks. I'm trying to think of what's uniquely Canadian. Poutine is horrendous. Beaver tails are horrendous. I would send them orbits. They were gelatin balls floating in soda. Yeah. It was gross. It was like an early bubble tea. What? And it was supposed to be a big hit, and it was such a flop that it sunk the company that put them out. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But if I see that, I'm immediately taken back to like 1995. So that's what I would send people. I thought you'd go all dressed chips. It's a lot on the mouth. There's too much salt. It like burns my lips. You have to be ready for it. (laughs) You do have to be ready, but it's delicious. (laughs) It is. I've learned
2: that Canada has an assortment of flavors of Kit Kat that are not available in America. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's like a tiramisu, there's a cheesecake, there's a caramel, it's it's wacky. All but right.
1: isn't it some stuff, don't you just want tiramisu? Like eat, have a Kit Kat and have tiramisu. Like why am I longing for a tiramisu? Like just
2: next to each other.
1: Yeah, have the thing that you want.
2: Have the thing. All right. So we've got a couple rapid fire questions. I don't want you to think about it. I want you to just answer. Okay. Daniel Ruiz, rank the golden girls from best to worst.
1: Okay. Uh, Dorothy. I don't think that's hard. Uh, Then Blanche. Then we would go Sophia. I I would actually put Stan's Zvornak before Rose because I don't like Rose that much at all. And neither did me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Next question.
2: Mayor of Canton asks, Thousand Island dressing. Which Thousand Islands does it represent?
1: The Thousand Islands that are in upstate New York, I suggest that person get a map. Next question. Oh,
2: next question from David Williams. Best sci-fi sitcom out of this world or Small Wonder? Oh, uh, Small Wonder. There was a cuteness. There was a smart guy quality to it. All right. And last one. Mike Fresh says, why haven't you yet acknowledged that Stanley Tucci is the greatest
1: of all time? Stanley Tucci is a scumbag. He's a horrible person. (laughs) He ought to be ashamed of himself. He go watch his Instagram. I put a super cut out... He never knows when he's rolling and he starts every reel turning to his wife going, are we rolling? It's so he's dripping with with a a pump and and (laughs) it disgusts me.
2: Oh, my God. Okay, this was. Honestly, one of my favorite interviews we've ever done.
1: It's that low? The bar is that low? <laughs> oh, my God.
2: Jeez. <laughs> oh, well, this was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you don't already already follow RJ on Twitter, you're doing yourself a disservice. Please do. RJ City One, And then on Instagram, RJ City, you can watch episodes of Hey EW every Sunday morning on YouTube at the crack of yes. dawn. You can listen and follow this podcast, all of your favorite podcast platforms, New episodes Thursday, videos on YouTube on Mondays, and we've got Dark Elevation on Monday. We've got Dark on Tuesday. We've got Dynamite Wednesday. We've got Rampage Friday. We have so many shows I can't even keep track now. We're doing house shows now. It's awesome. It's great. And, of course, this is my wonderful guest co-host, Alex Eberhentis. Thank you again for joining me, and thank hey, you all for listening to AEW Unrestricted.
1: Bye, Mr. Shivani. <laughs> Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you unrestricted.
3: Crossing and the freaks are coming out